The title for our message tonight is The Gift of Grace. The Gift of Grace. And I'm going to read a story to you that, in my opinion, is a good definition of grace. A mother whose only son was shot dead displayed the ultimate sign of forgiveness when she invited her son's killer to not only move into her neighborhood, but she encouraged him to live next door to her. The 59-year-old woman was known known as Mary Johnson, now lives in a house adjoining her son's killer, 34-year-old Oshia Israel, where the two unusual neighbors even share a porch. Oshia killed Mrs. Johnson's son when he was just 16, following an argument that occurred at a party. As a result of the killing, Oshia was tried and convicted. He received a 25-year jail sentence, but only served 17 years before being released. At the time of his arrest, Oshia had been involved with gangs from his neighborhood and dabbled in drugs. Mrs. Johnson wanted justice for her murdered son. She said, my son was gone. I was angry and hated this boy, hated his mother, she said. As a way to deal with the heartache of losing her only child, she decided to join a support group. The support group encouraged the parents that attended to make contact with their children's killer as a way of letting go of the hurt and the pain and the hate. Mrs. Johnson, who is a well-liked local teacher and a devout Christian, reached out to her son's killer and asked to meet him at the Stillwater State Prison, where Oshia was serving his sentence. She says she felt compelled to give Oshia, but the ex-convict would not agree to see her until nine months later. When asked what she said the first time they met, Oshia says that the 59-year-old woman asked him to wipe the slate clean so the two could embark on forging a new relationship. Mrs. Johnson continued to visit Oshia in prison regularly until his release, upon which she invited and insisted that he moves in next door. Now that he has reintegrated into society, Oshia is unwilling to let Mrs. Johnson's clemency and forgiveness go to waste. Determined to become a respected member of society, he has enrolled in night classes and he works in a recycling plant during the day. Mrs. Johnson even wears a necklace with a two-sided locket. On one side are photos of herself and her son, and the other has a picture of her new son, Hoshia. Tonight, the aim of this message is to leave you amazed at the grace of God. I think the grace of God is probably one of the most misunderstood subjects in Christianity today. I'd like to look at this message in the following order. Number one is the gift of grace, and secondly, Gracing God's grace. Now, God's grace has two main definitions in the Bible, and perhaps we could illustrate it with a battery. And I'm going to draw an illustration here on the board. A battery has both a positive and a negative post. So up here in the corner, we're just going to draw a simple car battery. So we've got a positive post, we've got a ground post. This battery is titled, The Grace of God. 
The ground post is like the facts of God's grace. His gift of love, his mercy, his favor, his goodwill. That's the definition of God's grace. Now the positive post is the power or the active ingredient of God's grace. And it's the part that actually influences your life. It's the power of his grace that comes to your life when you fully surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Grace surpasses mercy. It's much more amazing than mercy. In the story that I read you, the mother of that murdered boy, she had mercy. She forgave, but she went beyond that. And she actually adopted her son's killer. And that is a description of grace. Grace is the second mile of mercy. The father of the prodigal son is an amazing picture of grace. You know, that ragged boy, he come back home to his father in repentance. And his father showed him mercy. He didn't send him packing back down the road again. He didn't demand repayment on the squandered inheritance. He didn't say, son, we're going to send you into a rehab program just to make sure that you're cured. He didn't say that. A son came back. He asked him to hire him, to make him his hired servant. The father restored him. He put a ring on his hand. He put shoes on his feet. He accepted him as a son, and he treated him as if he had never left home in the first place. And that's an amazing picture of grace. All of us have been recipients of God's mercy and grace. Not only has God had mercy on us and not given us what we deserve, He's been gracious to us and He's given us what we don't deserve. And that's amazing. Where does grace come from? What does it look like? People today are increasingly concerned about where their food comes from. We have Happy pigs nowadays that are raised in, not raised in crates, they're raised in pens where they can run around on a clean bed of straw and somehow their bacon just tastes a little better. We have free-range chickens that lay organic eggs. You see, it's all because people are concerned about how their food is raised and where it comes from. Where does grace come from? Well, first John chapter 1, verses 14 to 17, it tells us that mercy or Jesus brought grace and truth. Jesus is the source of grace. The grace of Jesus brought us eternal life. He brought us salvation. He adopted us as his children. And that is a wonderful gift. I don't believe tonight that you can experience the fullness of his grace until you understand the truth about who you are and where you will find yourself outside of Jesus Christ. Romans 5 verse 15 says, But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. We want to unwrap this gift of grace a little bit. And I think Ephesians 1 does a wonderful job of doing that. Let's turn there. Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to unwrap this gift and see what it's, what it's all about. I'd like to read verses 3 to 14, and we want to notice four dimensions of God's grace, four facts about the grace of God. 
Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye trusted after, that ye heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest or the down payment of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession, under the praise of his glory. Forty mentions of God's grace. And we must remember tonight that God is not obligated to give us his grace. It's not that he's forced, and it's not something that he does reluctantly, but God wants to pour his grace out on every individual that wants to receive it. Notice verse 6, it talks about the glory of his grace. And that word glory means magnificence, it means splendor, it means beauty, it means wonder, it means grandeur, it means brilliance. We took a trip through the Rockies Back some years ago, it was the first trip we took there. and We'd be driving along, and first while, the children liked to look at the mountains, but eventually they got tired of seeing the mountains. But their dad never got tired of it. And he was concerned that they would absorb the beautiful mountains while they had the chance, while they had the opportunity. So as we were driving along, he would say, Look at the mountains! <laughs> And it's become kind of a, a family joke, uh, Dad's uh, advice to look at the mountains. Well, tonight, we want to look at the wonder and the beauty and the magnificence and the splendor of God's grace. Notice verse 7, it talks about the riches of His grace. If you turn over to chapter 2, uh, chapter two, verse 7, it talks about that as well, that in the ages to come... He might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. The riches of his grace, the wealth, the fullness, the abundance. Some time ago I read that the price for lunch with Warren Buffett cost $3,300,000. An anonymous bidder agreed to pay $3 million $300,000 at an auction to have a private lunch with Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett is the, uh, mil- the billionaire uh, chairman of the famous Berkshire Hathaway. It's a big investment firm. Uh, he's one of the 
wealthiest man in the world. And they were auctioning off these tickets where you could buy a ticket to have lunch with Warren Buffett. And somebody paid over $3 million to have lunch with Warren Buffett. Tonight I'm thankful that the riches of God's grace are affordable. They're within reach for everyone. Whosoever will may come. It doesn't take $3,300,000. The gift of grace. Number one. And these are the facts about God's grace and what's included in the grace of God. And number one is God's approval of us. We're going to have this on this side. These are the facts. This is the ground post. So number one is God's approval. I'm just going to write the first word here. God's approval of us. It says in verse 3 that he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. And that word blessed there, the, the Greek word for that is eulogio, which is where we get our word eulogy from. And you know where they have eulogies. They have eulogies at funerals. Somebody dies and a friend or family will get up front and they'll expound on all the wonderful things that this person did while they were living. The time to, by the way, the time to give a eulogy is before the person dies. Tell them while, you, while they can actually benefit from it. Isn't it amazing that we can have God's approval, His blessing on our lives? You know, our children, they crave our approval. As parents, you know that, that your, ch- your children, they crave your approval. And when children don't have that, they become very insecure, and you start to see the signs of that. It's amazing the extent that people go to to get others' approval or even just to be noticed. I mean, they sacrifice comfort and convenience and cost to get the crowd's approval. Some of the hairdos you see nowadays look like they're inspired out of North Korea. I mean, you couldn't have paid me to have a hairdo like that. And I don't know why people do it. I guess it's to get approval. Well, you see pants that used it used to be two sizes too big, and now they've gone down to two sizes too small. It's about approval. That's what it's about. People crave approval. Well, I'm thankful that because of God's grace, we can have His approval on our lives. And we don't need to look to a peer group. We don't need to look to business associates. But through Jesus Christ... And the work that he has done to wash us up and to clean us up, we can have God's approval. Let's keep studying to show ourselves approved unto God. The second thing, the gift of grace, the second fact is God's appointment of us. And you'll see that in verse 4. It says, he hath chosen us in him. God's appointment. The word chosen there means to select and to make a choice. Now, when you select something, you hand pick it. You point to it and you say, I want that one. I selected my wife. Nobody did that for me. That was up to me. I hand picked her. I chose her. And she said, yes, without hesitation. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it more amazing that God appointed, chose you to be his child? Yes, he did. That's amazing. And it's his grace that has done that. 
God did not create us to destroy us. That is not His will. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 9 says, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 15 verse 16, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. So in case you're feeling left out tonight, in case you're feeling unwanted, without a job or a purpose in life, remember those feelings are not from God. God has appointed you. He's appointed you to be a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, and he wants you to show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The third thing about God's grace, the third fact is his adoption of us. And verse 5 talks about this. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children. Ephesians 2. Verse 19 says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. We are adopted because of Jesus Christ. You know, there's there's thousands of children who are rejected by their birth parents. They're abandoned. They're left to die. Orphanages around the world only give a small percentage of them a home. Many are in foster care addicted to their, their mother's drug habit before they're even born. My mother-in-law does foster care, and sometimes she gets a drug baby, and that baby will just cry and cry and cry. And the reason it does is because it's going through withdrawal. Terrible. And the reason that mother takes drugs is probably because her mother took drugs. It's a terrible cycle. The grace of God can redeem a person from that. But it seems like our society has become more concerned about stray cats and rescue horses than about their own flesh and blood. Our Father never abandons us. Rather, He adopts us. And every soul that is born is predestined for adoption if they will choose the wonderful grace of God. Romans 8, verse 15, Ye have not received the spirit of adoption again to fear, but ye, sorry, ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba Father, or Papa Father. Number four, the gift of God's grace is God's acceptance of us. And verse 6 talks about this. He hath made us accepted in the beloved. Accepted means to grace, to do with special honor, to be highly favored. Not every child that's always adopted feels accepted. In fact, many struggle with the feeling like they don't quite belong. Like the father of that prodigal, that graced him with special honor. You know, that prodigal came back home. The father put a ring on his hand. He put a robe on him. He put a pair of rock ports on his feet. He gave him a ribeye steak dinner. And they had a royal celebration. What a wonderful 
illustration of God's grace. But you know, that son could not receive that until he come back to the Father in repentance. And that's how it is. God's grace is not realized. The fullness of God's grace is not realized until we're on the other side of repentance. Jesus said in John 6, verse 37, And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. And tonight Jesus does that initial cleaning. He makes us acceptable. By his grace, he cleans us up. What a smelly job that must be. But he does it because he loves us. And he never stops cleansing it. He never stops polishing. He never stops snipping. He never stops pruning. All of us are a work in progress. And tonight, if you think you're finished and you've turned out pretty well, it's only a sign that he needs to do a little more pruning and a little more scrubbing. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 to 6, But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Can we extend the same grace to others that God extends to us? Is there anyone in your life that needs grace? You need to give them what they actually don't deserve. That's hard to do. But we all get the chance to practice that in life somewhere along the way. Isn't God's grace an amazing gift? He approves us. He appoints us. He adopts us. He accepts us. That's what I would call a straight-A plan. You cannot get it better than that. All right, part two, gracing God's grace. It'd be inspirational to sing Amazing Grace together. I think we all know the story behind that song. Did you know that Amazing Grace was written by John, John Newton? And we, we know what kind of life John Newton lived. He was a slave trader. He ran into the interior of Africa and rounded up slave-like animals and shipped them to the North American slave market. One day he got caught in a terrible storm, and it looked like they were all going to lose their lives. He cried out to God, and God saved him, delivered him from his wicked life. John went on to become a minister, and then he wrote Amazing Grace. And Amazing Grace was actually written as a joyous New Year's hymn. Did you know that? We often sing it at funerals, and we associate it with you know, pain and loss. And it's a good time to sing it. But it's also a good time to sing it at the beginning of a new year. Amazing grace. Paul experienced God's amazing grace. And it's interesting, if you read the Pauline epistles, apostles, Apostle Paul's writings usually begin with grace and end with grace. If you look at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 1, it says this, Grace be to you and peace from God our Father. And then you go back to chapter 6, the end of Ephesians. I'll just give you this as an example. Verse 24, the last verse of Ephesians says, Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. It begins with grace, ends with grace. And I think the reason for that is because Paul understood the grace of God in his life and that wonderful grace that saved him from the life he was living in. He wanted to live his life 
and repay. And we can never repay our debt, but we can try. Grace in God's grace. God's grace can be both a noun and a verb. When you grace something, you contribute pleasingly to it. It was so good of you to grace us with your presence tonight. That's, what the, that's another meaning of the word grace. It also means to add elegance to something, to add beauty or charm. The cook at her house will sometimes grace the meatloaf with a little sprig of parsley. And I always like to eat that parsley. I don't know, it just looks so good on top of that ketchup and that, you know, steaming meatloaf. There's a little sprig of parsley. Or maybe she will make pumpkin pie and, and, and she'll put whipped cream on top of the pumpkin pie and it looks wonderful. But then on top of the whipped cream, she'll take the cinnamon uh, shaker and shake a little cinnamon on top of the whipped cream. She's gracing that pumpkin pie. And I tell you, pumpkin pie with cinnamon on top of the whipped cream, it it just takes it to the next level. Well, God's grace tonight is a condiment that adds something pleasing to your life. God's grace adds an elegance. It adds a beauty. It adds a charm like nothing else can. No amount of paint or plaster can do for you what the grace of God can do. In fact, makeup on your face can never make up for what God's grace can do in your life. I want to look now at the positive post of the battery. And the positive post is the power or the active ingredient of God's grace. It's the part that affects and influences your life. It's the power of His grace that comes through your life when you fully surrender your heart to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Here's this definition for this aspect of grace. It is the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. That is one of the Greek definitions for grace. The divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in, the, in your life. And that is where the power lies. This is where the grace of God makes a difference in your life. This is what sets a Christian apart. You know, your unconverted friends may be experiencing a dimension of God's grace. They're experiencing His love. They're experiencing His kindness. They're experiencing His mercy. They're experiencing His goodwill to a point. But they're not experiencing this dimension of His grace. Where you have God's influence upon your heart and the reflection of His character in your life. And only Jesus can bring that. The cables that connect you to God's grace and power are faith and obedience. They're faith and obedience. You cannot have God's grace flowing through your life unless you're connected by faith and by obedience. So I'm going to draw a little person down here. I'm not a real good artist. My wife has that gift, but I don't. Anyway, down here is this person. And his arms are reaching up. Here come the cables. This is the positive post. This is the ground post. He's connected to the facts by faith. 
He's connected to the active ingredient, the power of God's grace, by obedience. I'd like to look at what God's grace looks like for a little bit in our lives when we're connected by faith and by obedience. First of all, let's look at what God's grace does not do. One thing that God's grace does not do is it never sanctions sin. God's grace does not sanction sin. We're just right, not sanction. So you can remember, God's grace does not sanction sin. Romans 6 verse 1 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? It says, God forbid. God's grace never sanctions sin. Some people ascribe to this idea that grace gives them the permission or the, the, the consent to live in sin. Since God's standard is, uh, is too high and difficult to attain, and because their human nature is... Uh, is so human, they take on this idea that God's grace gives them an excuse to live in sin. It's kind of a fatalistic kind of attitude. It's just just my weakness and, and, and a disorder, and I can't help it, and God's grace will somehow cover me. Some folks try to separate law and grace. In fact, this is the premise that much of Protestant Christianity operates from. It separates the law and grace. They cast God's law, His truth aside. They spiritualize it. They figuratize it. They call it legalism. But you cannot separate law and grace. Remember, it says there in 1 John that grace and truth both came by Jesus Christ. Here's a quote that I found. It says, The law looked at the standard of righteousness. Grace looks at the source of righteousness. And when you have the source of righteousness... Living in your heart, it makes it possible to live a holy and a righteous life. Remember, the definition of grace, it's the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14 say this. It says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. What is the reality in your life tonight? Are you making excuses for sin? Just a little flesh time here, a little me time there. Are you dead to sin? Or is there something in your life that you're feeding, that you're playing with, that you're keeping alive? Maybe it's something that was dead and you thought it was dead, but it pops its head back up again. We all know what that's like. I read about a couple from Texas. They were outside doing yard work around the house and Suddenly the wife started screaming, and the husband, he ran to investigate as to what the problem was. And here, a large diamond back rattlesnake had cornered his wife between the house and the hedge. 
and it was poised to strike. The husband swung at the snake with his shovel, and he severed its head. He came back a while later to retrieve some sticks that were laying beside this chopped up rattlesnake. And the head of the dead snake jumped at him and fastened itself on his hand. And of course, this snake knew that it was his last bite. And he released all its venom into this man's hand. And he nearly lost his life. I think he did lose a few fingers. Sin can appear dead. It can appear harmless. You know, sometimes we think we might have a habit conquered. Or it might not hurt us that much. Or we're curious to see how it works. And we fool ourselves into thinking that we need to know how this works so that we can combat what's harmful. Tonight, there are some subjects you don't Google. There's some places you don't go to eat at. There's some things you don't taste or try because it can create within you a desire that can be very difficult to conquer. God's grace does not sanction sin. It will keep you safe from sin if you let the Lord Jesus rule in your hearts. The second thing, to grace God's grace, we must be a steward of it and share it with others. A steward of the manifold grace of God. It says in 1 Peter 4, verse 10, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Steward is an interesting word. It has the idea of being a distributor. It has the idea of parceling out food to animals. And you know that domestic animals that are penned up, chickens that are in your pen, calves that are in your pen, horses that are in the field, they need care. They need somebody to meet their needs. And that's what grace is the idea of being a steward of God's grace. It has the idea of being a distributor or passing it on to others. Are you a distributor of God's grace? Are you spreading God's love, His mercy, His kindness to others? The third thing is, to grace God's grace, we must be strong in God's grace. These are all active ingredients. The divine influence upon the life. Strong in God's grace. Thou therefore, my son, 2 Timothy 2, verse 1, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9 says, He said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. A soldier's life, we touched on this a little last night. A soldier's life is not a posh life. A soldier eats rations, he drinks from a canteen, he marches through all kinds of weather, he constantly faces the enemy. That's how it is for us, but we have the grace of God to help us. Fourthly, we must speak and sing about God's grace. Colossians 3, verse 16 talks about this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, 
in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. You must sing and speak about the grace of God. The words that come from your mouth, do they exhibit God's grace? To your co-workers, to your family, can they tell that there's something different? Can they see the active ingredient of God's grace coming through you? Our words make an impact. They certainly do. Do they make a pleasing contribution? Do they add beauty and charm to your home, to your work atmosphere? What about the songs you sing? Lord willing, on Saturday night we want to talk about music. And that's a big subject, so you can pray about that. But researchers at North Carolina State University poured over hit songs of the last 50 years to find out what made their listeners tick. Their study discovered 12 key themes that show up most frequently in big radio hits. And they are these. The top themes, loss, desire, aspiration, nostalgia, pain, breakup, rebellion, Inspiration, escapism, desperation, confusion. That's what the world sings about. God's people sing about the wonderful grace of Jesus. Number five, we must let God's grace. To grace God's grace, we must let it saturate and sanctify our hearts. I wish I had more time to spend on this one. I'll write it down. Number five. Saturate and sanctify And the verse for this is from Hebrews chapter 12 verse 15 looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled and what this verse does it connects the life of Esau with the word grace. And you know the story of Esau, and you know how he made that terrible trade. He traded in his inheritance, his, I guess he didn't have any faith. He traded it in his inheritance, he traded in his place as spiritual leader, he traded his, even his financial position for a little bowl of chicken noodle soup. Why did he make that terrible trade? It was because there was bitterness in his life. And bitterness will do that to us. It will cause us to make terrible trades. And we need the grace of God to keep those roots from going, growing in our lives. We all face situations in life that are not pleasant. Things at times we wish we could undo. Some things we ask for. Some things we get without asking for. The grace of God is always sufficient to help us through those times and not allow that root of bitterness to grow. I'm not sure what it was in Esau's life. Maybe there was resentment because of the favoritism in his family. The Bible says that Isaac, his father, loved him, but his mother loved Jacob. And it seems like there was a problem in that relationship. Perhaps that's where the bitterness grew in Esau's life. 
Oh, bitterness ultimately isn't so much against the circumstances or the people involved, but it's, a, it's against God for allowing something to come into my life that I think I don't deserve. We've all got those things. The grace of God is sufficient, but the roots of bitterness don't need to grow. Remember, Grace will sanctify your heart from resentment, which causes short-sighted choices, and it will help you accept what God allows in your life. And you'll see that it's for your good. Well, the last point. This is the last one. To grace God's grace, we must stay small enough to need it. Just write that over Proverbs 3, verse 34, but he giveth grace unto the lowly, it says. James 4, verse 6, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace unto the humble. 1 Peter 5, verse 5 says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. The word grace there means clothed. It talks about being clothed with humility. And that word clothed means to wear the apron as a badge of servitude. Now my wife wears an apron when she's working in the kitchen. A blacksmith wears an apron when he's shoeing horses. The butcher wears an apron when he's butchering, when he's cutting up meat. Are you wearing an apron tonight? The grace of God will help us to put the needs of others first. And put ourselves last. Do the attitudes we wear, the clothes we wear, the words we speak, the songs we sing, speak of a life that is gracing God's grace? Or does your life flash self-expression? The most dangerous place in the world is to be at a place where we're too big to need God. Don't ever visit that place because God resists those who live there. I'm so thankful there's a place where we can go to find the answers to all our needs. But we need to stay small enough. We need to stay humble enough. We need to need God bad enough to go there. And we talked about this last night. That's the throne of grace. The throne of grace. Let us come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I'd like to close with a song. It goes like this. Grace, dear Lord. Grace, dear Lord, to sweetly obey thy will. May self be slain, thy will remain. O help me, thy law to fulfill. Strength I need, strength indeed, that only thy power can give. Impart to me grace full and free, that only for thee I'll live. Let thy word in me, Lord, so richly abide each day. That fruits of worth may be brought forth to garnish thy holy way under the shadows of Calvary. There I would linger and pray, finding the grace 
But I need, dear Lord, grace to be like Thee each day. Sorry, I dropped that. Grace to be like Thee each day. God is extending His grace to us tonight. Have you reached out? Have you accepted that grace? Is it making a difference in your life? His grace is an amazing grace. God knows the condition of each heart here tonight. I'm not planning to give a formal invitation. I'm just going to open it up tonight to give testimony of what God's grace is doing in your life. If you'd like to request prayer for a need for grace in your life, I'm just going to open it up and give you a little time. Is there anybody that has anything they'd like to say?